This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. I may have cursed just a little bit in this episode, so you've been warned. As someone who cannot stand to be stuck in traffic... I've been thinking about how much I would hate to be in Ottawa, Canada these days. Hundreds of big rigs have poured into the city and parked right in front of Parliament to protest COVID restrictions. They call themselves the Freedom Convoy. There's been a lot of honking involved. They even erected a little structure where they kept diesel fuel and they have people bringing them fuel so they could basically live in their in their vehicles indefinitely. Jesse Brown is the publisher and editor-in-chief of Canada Land. That's a news site and podcast network. There have only been a few hundred trucks at the height of it, but these are big rig trucks and it's you got to hand it to them at least in terms of like political theater and just the physics of this. When I read about what's happening in Ottawa, to me, it seems like shitposting come to life. By which I mean, there are so many absurd things happening, but also kind of on the edge of danger. Like, I've read about bouncy castles being set up and hot tubs. But then also, you know, local residents who are really aggrieved and have real complaints. Yeah, all of that is true. There is a carnivalesque aspect to this. They're lighting off fireworks. They have hot tubs, barbecues. And if you read their accounts, they're like, hey, we're happy warriors here and nobody's getting hurt. I mean, some people have called it an occupation. Would you go that far? Yeah, I don't think that that's... uh, the wrong term. There's no question that this has been a massive disruption, a protest or an event like no other in Canadian history. It's it, it's certainly, it, it's absolutely wild. When I first heard about the Freedom Convoy, it seemed like a particularly Canadian protest. Polite. I've even read accounts of them shoveling the snow for the citizens of Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> but these protesters' complaints... They also have this familiar American flavor. They're upset about a vaccine mandate for Canadian truckers, about mask requirements, about school closures. And in the last week, this freedom convoy has spread. Also developing tonight, protesters against Canada's vaccine mandate forcing the Ambassador Bridge to close. That group disrupted On Monday, truckers blocked the busiest border crossing in North America. 
a bridge that connects Ontario to Detroit. And as day turns tonight, the situation hasn't changed any. Thousands of truckers now stranded on Detroit roads with nowhere to go. We got a grin and bear it, right? You know? And if you listen to the people holding up traffic, they simply sound exhausted. And, you know, we may have caused a little disturbance for hours here, but two years of this, two years, it's almost three years of this. We're, we're done. People are done. Jesse hears voices like this, and he wonders if the protesters have a point. And it's easy to dismiss them because the stated goals of this protest are ludicrous. Like, there's some real conspiracy theory. There's some real white nationalism. There's, some, like, some real scary stuff involved. But a lot of them are just, like, mad as hell. And the, the rules have been getting increasingly arbitrary. And there was bound to be some pushback. And it's taken this form. Today on the show, how a Canadian protest movement started picking up steam. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This so-called freedom convoy, it got its start because of a vaccine mandate. In January, Canada started requiring truck drivers to show proof of vaccination when they cross the border with the U.S. Though most Canadian truckers are vaccinated, some of the ones that weren't decided to fight. It's worth noting that the whole country saw this demonstration coming. A trucker convoy starting in British Columbia on the western side of the country, driving all the way to Ottawa, the nation's capital, it's not exactly subtle. But people didn't necessarily take it seriously at first. That was laughed at because America has the same rule. So even if Canada said we have no such rule and you're a trucker who needs to cross that border, you can't do your job because America won't let you in if you're not vaccinated, right? Well, and 90% of Canadian truckers are vaccinated. 90% of, Can- of Canadian truckers are vaccinated. The Truckers Alliance, the you know the, the actual like labor representation decries this, this uh, protest. So there was like kind of like political and media establishment sneering at this and I think trying to minimize it as like, well, this seems like a very silly grievance. Meanwhile, they're rolling through the country and every town they show up in, they're met with a lot of supporters. If you do research into the organizers of this convoy, you'll find that they have alliances to a bunch of fringe extremist groups. There's one group that was involved in what was called Wexit, like Western separatism in Canada, like Alberta splitting off and creating its own country. That does not sound mainstream. No, we have our own version of QAnon. We have our own version of uh, all sorts of conspiracists here. We have tons of white supremacists here and white nationalists. And this group, you know, the organizers included people who are, you know, not just Western separatism. Two of the organizers, like, have either, like, Confederate flags uh, behind them in videos they've shot or said that they're okay with Confederate flags showing up. You know, you're talking about these types of modern movements that are really diffuse, and the intentions of the people who show up might not be the same intentions of the people who organize it. So what started with a vaccine mandate grievance became a kind of right-wing stew? 
Yeah, and I, even the right-wing thing, like, I think that if the NDP, which is our most left-leaning major federal party, had said, hey, labor has suffered terribly under the pandemic, we're going to have a truckers protest. I think that a lot of the people who joined this protest would have joined that one. But yes, uh, certainly anybody on, on the radical fringe of the right was part of this, but a lot of other people were too. This basically became the place to put your anger. And so as they rolled through the country, it grew into something more than just about this truckers you know, mandate that's specific to the trucking industry. And, you know, they released this ludicrous memorandum of understanding in which they, you know, they consider Trudeau to be a treasonous and, and their calls for him to be executed. And so um, the memorandum of understanding was like, we won't even meet with Trudeau. We, we want to meet with the governor general, who's the queen's representative of Canada. Does that person have any power? No, they just rubber stamp. It's a silly holdover of, of you know, Canada's colonial past. They have no real political power. So it was like, uh, uh, like kind of just this effort to like cut out parliament from the process of meeting their demands. And their demands were the elimination of all vaccine mandates. Any, any rules whatsoever need to go. That, that, like no masks, no vaccines, no nothing. Just back to normal. Now, Ask me how many of the people who showed up at that protest read that memorandum of understanding. And, I, you know, I don't have any like hard data for you, but my guess is not a lot. I just think that if you were angry with the government and sick and tired of, of the restrictions, then this was a protest that might attract your attention. Freedom! My body, my choice. I want freedom to do what I want with my body. Does this look like a few... Extremists? My husband has been put on unpaid leave of absence from work because he refuses to get the shots. I am not anti-vax. I am not anti-government. I am anti-stupidity. What we saw was a couple hundred or so big rig trucks roll up right in front of Parliament Hill, set up camp, block off the streets, and a massive celebratory protest took place. And when the thousands went home and the dust cleared, there were these guys left. They've just been occupying the nation's capital since. And meanwhile, there have been trucker convoy type protests in Toronto now, Vancouver, Edmonton, Halifax. The cops learned their lesson and they didn't let the trucks get to government buildings or, or to the downtown core. And like that's played out kind of okay. Like we have the right to free assembly in Canada and where these other protests have showed up, they spent a day honking and then they went home. But in Ottawa, they're still there. In Ottawa, was the fatal flaw just letting the trucks in or was it something else? Because you say that in other places there have been there's been honking and everything else. So what's the difference in Ottawa? Why has it been so hard to move these protesters? Like because of the actual physical size of the trucks. Like like there have been conversations in, in Canadian media of like, well, okay, how could you without the truckers' participation? Uh, towing these trucks actually presents a physical challenge. And certain operators of tow truck companies said that they would refuse out of solidarity. But even if you had willingness from towers, it's a huge logistical challenge to clear these out. There, there's also been a lot of speculation that the Ottawa cops or some of them might be sympathetic to the cause and they allowed these trucks to set up camp. I'm a little bit skeptical of that. The police chief of Ottawa is not looking too great right now. This is not a simple demonstration where if you deal with one set of charges or one particular location, that's the end. 
there is a level of sustainability, financial capability, determined commitment around whatever the range of causes, and I've lost track of all the range of causes. Where we get a... As Canadian law enforcement struggle to get their arms around a slippery contingent, the protesters are getting high fives from the right-wing media ecosystem. Former President Donald Trump mentioned them at a rally last month. And we want those great Canadian truckers to know that we are with them all the way. They are. They've really shown something. It's time to move on. And with the greater attention from right-wing luminaries has come money. This protest is fueled by millions of dollars of donations. People have been, you know, they've been crowdfunding. And uh, they raised, uh, I think it went well over $10 million on GoFundMe before they froze that account. They, they dispersed a million of it. And then it was frozen. And there's there's this kind of like uh, refusal to believe that this could possibly be true because there's over 100,000 people open their wallets to fund this, which is one of the reasons why the truckers can camp out indefinitely. So a lot of Canadians are saying this isn't real. It's all funded by Americans. Is that true? It's true to some extent. We just don't know to what extent. I, I find it perfectly credible that if 10,000 people showed up in person in Ottawa, 50,000 Canadians might have lent a few bucks to the cause. I, I find that completely credible. And just my sense as a Canadian talking to Canadians is that there's, you will find people who are sympathetic to this. Like people are put off by like the super radical, especially the racist fringe of it, but they're effectively hiding that and denying that part of it. And a lot of people involved might not even be aware of it themselves that that's what the organizers are all about or have been about. The reality is, I think that the angry part of Canada is getting organized. Jesse Brown from over at Canada Land will be back after a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. You alluded to it a little bit in some of what you've said before, but I want to ask you directly this question, which is whether this protest is an American protest or a Canadian one. 
And I say that sort of cheekily because the protest is happening in Ottawa. Obviously, it is about Canadian truckers. But a Canadian scholar who talked to my colleague Dahlia Lithwick, he said it like this. He said, the trucker convoy is the toxic American political environment spilling across our border. And I wonder if you would agree with that or not. I rarely agree with Stephen Marsh, (laughs) who I count among my friends. There's truth to it. But look, the uh, suggestion there is that like your toxic grossness spilled over onto our pristine country. When it comes to producing our own extremists and bigots, we punch above our weight. And my company, Canada Land, has been documenting the radical fringe in Canadian extremist politics for years now. Canadians from their desktops have been punching above their weight in their support of Trumpism, you know, brewing up all sorts of conspiracy theories and partaking in QAnon and all, like, all that stuff has not just Canada being represented, but Canada is a bit overrepresented given the fact that we've got like a tenth of the population of the states. Well, you know, so, so we've got our own here. But do you think that the protest would have gone on this long without Donald Trump Jr. tweeting support or Trump going to a rally and talking about how great this was? No, I think that the endorsement of uh, big name American figures in this, you know, wider right wing movement was a major factor. And now there are trucker convoy protests purportedly being attempted all over the world. To the rank and file who show up and wait for one of the a one day protest, I think that they actually are just trying to voice their grievance to government and then go home. But I think that to the people who have really dug in their heels and dug in their trucks, I think that there is like, you know, you, you can read in the ludicrous literature of some of these groups plans for maximum disruption in order to incite a race war. One of the organizers of this thing, Pat King, openly talks about like bullets are going to fly soon. So you've got some real scary characters who explicitly want to launch a civil war and are pursuing a strategy of dividing society and creating mass disruption. If the demands of these protesters weren't about racism, why does it matter that these white supremacists ended up being a big part of signal boosting this movement? It's very, very difficult to put your finger on the role that white supremacist movements and white nationalist movements play in this, largely because it is vociferously objected to. You mean people don't want to call themselves racist? It is explicitly denied, and they will cite this as proof that this is just a way of silencing us. And a lot of people legitimately feel that way, and they have nothing to do with white nationalist movements, and they really resent being lumped in. If you're at a rally with 10,000 people and six of them have racist flags, you probably have plausible deniability that you are not at a racist rally, I would suggest. But then you get into the organizers themselves. They will deny that they are racist at all. In fact, one of them will say that she is Métis, that she's an indigenous person. Another one says he's a Jewish person. Well, the Jewish guy says he's fine with Confederate flags because he's open to all ideas. One of the other guys involved was seen in a video with Confederate flags flying behind him in his own in his own business. Is the Confederate flag a racist symbol? I, I, I think it is. So you're always in this situation of being gaslit. And like, who really cares 
well, I, I guess you care because they are organizing this massive movement. If you read the dumbass literature of these people, they talk specifically and explicitly about hiding your power level. You know, don't show up with a swastika tattoo on your forehead. You know, find a cause that lots of people agree with. You know, the Proud Boys are a Canadian phenomenon. Gavin McInnes came up with that one. A lot of these guys do like good Samaritan things, and they try to find populist causes to get as many people under their tent as possible while explicitly obscuring the actual white supremacist agenda. When you see the mainstream conservative politicians, including the guy who's going to be the next leader, embrace this group, that is what they want. They want to be laundered. They want to be part of a mainstream coalition. Maybe the greatest victory of the trucker protest movement has been the way it's shifted the discourse in Canadian politics. The mainstream opposition party, the conservatives, have tried to stitch themselves onto this demonstration, using support for the truckers as a kind of purity test for its leadership. When this all started, Aaron O'Toole was the leader of the conservative party. And the mainstream conservative party in Canada has been sort of out in the wilderness and really struggling with what to do with this rising radical sentiment and angry anti-Trudeau sentiment, the polling has shown us that Canadians really reject Trumpism. There was a, a candidate for conservative leadership uh, sometime back who really was kind of aiming at immigrants in a Trumpian way, and she lost horribly. You know, another mainstream conservative who, who took a, a Trumpian route had to go off and start his own fringe party. So the mainstream conservative party has really tried to resist in any way embracing that more angry radical sentiment. But that angry radical sentiment has been growing and growing. And meanwhile, the mainstream conservatives can't form government or, or even get very close. Aaron O'Toole for a long time, kept a lot of distance from people like the truckers in this convoy and other fringe groups and other movements like that. But what happened with this protest was because when they showed up, there were like 10,000 of them. And because in that first weekend of protesting, there wasn't even an arrest made. And it was a lot of people waving flags. It, it effectively laundered the message that this is just working class people. This was the moment where mainstream Canadian conservatives embraced this movement. And Aaron O'Toole tried to do so. Every time our, our conservative politicians have tried to do so in the past, they've gotten their fingers burned and somebody's waving a swastika behind them. But it looked safe to him. It did. It did. But because he's positioned himself as the sort of compassionate conservative or progressive conservative, he's used like, you know, it was not credible coming from his lips. And in no short order, he was ousted. And, and huh. dir directly, his uh, failure to stand up to the charter rights of, of Canadians in the face of Trudeau's pandemic measures was cited by his own caucus as a reason why he was ousted. He was not embracing them genuinely. He wasn't believe he doesn't seem like an angry guy. And that was sort of his brand is like, here's a conservative you don't have to be afraid of. He's not a Trump. Well, it looks like there's an interim leader now, but it looks like the next leader of the conservative party is going to be a guy named Pierre Polyev, who is an angry man. And he's fully embraced this protest. If you walk into a grocery store and you see products on the shelves, thank a trucker. If you walk into a grocery store and you see empty shelves, thank Justin Trudeau. And that looks like where mainstream politics in Canada is heading, that the conservatives are going to be uh, helmed by a very angry leader. Huh. So while Canadian politicians have been kind of keeping their distance from this angry wing, they can't do that anymore? Well, I guess that's the, the the conclusion they've made. And it's it's interesting to read editorials 
pointing out the folly of this, it's almost taken as an impossibility that trying to harness this kind of angry uh, rage could work in a country like Canada. I am not so sure. I, I'm watching it coalesce into something like a political movement. Hmm. So how does this end? Well, it's hilarious because what the police couldn't do and the mayor couldn't do and Trudeau refused to do, wouldn't send in the military, a 21-year-old young woman who lives in downtown Ottawa uh, has done, which is she sought and received an injunction that you know, <laughs> the honking is keeping her up. It's a violation of her rights. The volume levels are such that it actually could do physical damage. And uh, she was granted an injunction. And that injunction gave the police powers, which I guess they didn't have before. It's it's wild to think that given the overreach of Canadian cops with just about every other protest, that they were like so careful not to violate the rights of the protesters. But now the injunction has apparently given the police powers to uh, arrest for honking. And that has resulted in the honking stopping. The trucks are still there. The honking has stopped. When will the trucks leave? Everyone would like to know. Given everything we've said about how this protest feels like it's sort of just a primal scream by people with a lot of different grievances, and given the fact that I've read that the organizers of this event are trying to do similar convoys other places, in Washington, D.C., in Europe, do you have advice for the rest of us? Don't let them in. <laughs> it's not that complicated. In Toronto, a bunch of school buses and cop cars were parked around Queen's Park, the legislature here, and the trucks couldn't make it in. It's not as much fun if you've got to park your truck off on some street, you know, or the suburbs and then walk in. Eventually, you got to go back to your truck. You go back to your truck and, uh, you know, it, it's uh, not the same fun party atmosphere as if you were right downtown in front of the government buildings. And so they went home. By all means, do not stamp out people's right to protest. But I don't think you've got a right to drive a big rig truck onto a main thoroughfare and park it there for 10 days. Jesse Brown, thank you for speaking Canadian with me. <laughs> My pleasure. Jesse Brown is the publisher and editor-in-chief of Canada Land. That is a news site and podcast network. It's smart. It's fun. Go check it out. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Daniel Hewitt, Carmel Del Shad, and Mary Wilson. We are led by Alicia Montgomery, and I'm Mary Harris. You can go find me in this feed tomorrow, bright and early, or just go find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Talk to you later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.